Stories, fables, ghostly tales. A man spurred on by vengeance sabotages his nemesis, tearing his life down day by day, hour by hour, till he has nothing left. But what awaits our protagonist is the true price of vengeance, the real cost of revenge. And a monster born from wax, a creature not of this world, a twisted mess of paraffin and cruelty plays with its food. Listeners, I hope your week has been wonderful. I was unfortunately ill this Wednesday and unable to upload, but I'm back and regaining my footing, as it were. Seems like there's a stomach bug going around where I am and I was its next victim. Now listeners, your first tale is The Price of Revenge by Santiago Del Mar. And your second tale is The Candle Went by Sammy Grayson. Turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and let these stories get under your skin. The Price of Revenge My story starts out like the typical schlock that Hollywood pumps out every month. A man has everything, and in one dreadful instant, he's lost it all. Now, with nothing left to lose, the man sets out to avenge all that he's lost and to regain his manhood. This man is stoic, brave, cunning, and intelligent, and through violence, dominance, and faux heroism, he shows the audience that he's still worthy of being called a man. No, that he is still worthy as a human. But that's what all these revenge power fantasies miss. No manhood. There is no humanity. Nothing of value in the quest for vengeance. The man in this story was named Luke. And it began eight years ago. I had spent the day taking my family out to the beach. As soon as the sun started setting, we began to pack up. I'll never forget the auburn rays of light and the shimmering sea. My daughter Natalie was four years old at the time, and had just become fascinated by stars. Being so young, she didn't quite understand what they were. As we were leaving, she pointed at the water and asked if the little twinkling lights were stars. My wife Lydia and I found her curiosity amusing, a sign that she was going to be a bright child. As I started the car, I placed a gentle hand on the little bump forming my wife's stomach. She placed hers over mine, and I knew at that moment that I was truly content. It happened in a split second. A single point in time seared into my being for the rest of my life. One moment I was driving down the highway, taking the time to adjust the radio, and the next, my chest is screaming in pain as an immense pressure forces me into my seat. Then, the weightlessness of space comes over me, and the last thing I see before it all fades to black is little shards of glass floating across my field of vision. I have the strange thought 
of how the headlights reflecting off them make them look like little twinkling stars. I awoke several hours later in a hospital bed. The white rooms and beeping machines instantly made my heart sink. I tried to get up, only to see that my left leg was in a cast. My questions about my wife and child were ignored the first few times until a doctor very calmly confirmed my worst fears. There were only two survivors. Me and the culprit. My antagonist, the subject of vengeance, a man named Henry Colston. Henry was a Wall Street big shot, ran a very successful investment firm, and had a wealth vast enough to gain him an abundance of luxuries unimaginable to a man of my class. One of those luxuries was abusing the justice system. He was found guilty for manslaughter, but it didn't mean anything. All he got was a suspended jail sentence and a few years probation, while I had lost everything at the age of 32. It goes to show what a good lawyer can do, and for a man like Henry, it only cost him the equivalent of a few dollars. The thing that hurt most, the thing that cemented my need to tear down this man and make him pay for all he had done, was when he testified and shifted the blame onto me. Even if the majority of the court didn't side with him, I knew that a few would, and that burned. I made a promise then that I would devote as much time and effort as possible to see all his accomplishments crumble and fade away. It was a lot easier than I thought. A few years, a name change, dyed hair, and a beard was all it took to be hired as part of his landscaping crew. I spent the next two years scouting his vast estate. I learned every nook and cranny of it. When the time was right, I snuck into his house and planted a keylogger on his personal computer. Over the next year, I would collect personal information and passwords. I also discreetly started planting illegal content in hidden files on his computer. Child porn, to be exact. Looking back on it, I realized how fucked up that was. Using the exploitation and abuse of children for my gain. But that's what the pursuit of vengeance does. It dehumanizes every aspect of a person and their lives. You reading this aren't so different. I realize now that people's morals are actually quite twisted and malicious, and they just delude themselves into thinking that they are not. How many times do people casually throw around comments about how they would kill those who bring harm to them and their loved ones? Heavy statements thrown around so lightly is indicative of the kind of collective morals our society holds. The pursuit of vengeance is not only condoned, but glorified to an extent. But what most people don't truly realize is the cost of every action, and the price of revenge dwarfs all preconceived notions. After another year of slowly setting up my plans, I left an anonymous tip with the FBI. They confiscated Henry's computer. He was confident that they wouldn't find anything. I wish I were around to see his face. When they told him about the files they found, he was arrested, he paid bail pretty quickly, and was back at his estate. 
only to find that his bank accounts had been emptied. Next, I posted several anonymous accusations online of Henry being a sexual abuser, sent a few messages to prominent internet blogs and news sites. Within a day, the online world was flooded with articles of his supposed abuse, hordes of online users condemned and viciously attacked Henry. Someone leaked his address, and before long, death threats and other abuse were hurled at Henry in the real world. His wife of 20 years announced her plans of divorce and revealed that she was no longer living with Henry. I didn't stop there. I organized a mass protest of his firm and within a week, Henry was forced to resign from the company he had spent his entire life building. Henry's life was virtually destroyed. At the age of 52, he was broke, alone, hated, legacy and ruins. He had nothing left to live for. It wasn't enough for me, no. I had to be there at the height of his despair. I wanted to tell him that this was what he deserved for what he did to me. I wanted to see his face, the agony of knowing that he did this to himself. I wanted to see him realize that there was no way out of the hell I had created. And most importantly, I wanted to see him give in and take his own life. I wanted to savor the sheer depths of suffering I had brought to this man, to know that I had the strength to avenge my grievances. I broke into his house on the night before he was due back at court, armed with a revolver. I found Henry slumped in a chair in the middle of his living room, his back to me. I aimed my gun and he cocked the hammer. Hearing the noise, he turned around to face me. An expression of recognition carved into his visage. You know who I am? I do. So you know that what you did to me justifies what I have done to you. I see. I guess I should think so. Smug to the very end. End? He asked. I threw Henry a little capsule I'd prepared. A cyanide pill. He caught it and examined it closely, taking a few moments for him to realize what it was and what I wanted. Thank you. Guess it's only fair for it to end like this. He said. I learned a long time ago that nothing in this life is fair. You taught me that. You destroyed my life. This is the only price you have to pay. Henry gave me an almost sad smile before placing the pill between his molars. I drew closer, wanting to witness the moment he bit down on it. I was in a near, euphoric state, eight years of planning finally paying off. From the corners of my vision I saw a familiar sight, little lights like stars started appearing. I recalled the fateful day that bound us, naturally asking if the shimmering ocean was filled with stars. Lydia's soft hand over mine, the life growing inside her, shattered glass caught in mid-flight twinkling like stars. 
it all came rushing back to me in the most literal way possible. A blast of pressure flung and pinned me to the ground. My limbs went limp, and I felt that familiar weightlessness that exists in the split second of a car crash. The light that I mistook as stars coalesced and started taking form before my very eyes. Henry stood up, a smug grin on his face. He spoke as the lights became more defined. You think I didn't know about your scheming? I've known for years. I knew exactly what was going to happen and how. I tried to say something, but the words died before they even formed. I tried to reach for my gun, but my body refused to even respond. It was as if some invisible force was pinning me down. You see, Luke, ever since I was young, the otherworldly and metaphysical has fascinated me. It wasn't until I made a name for myself when I had the funds to indulge in my interests. In the decade I spent searching, I never found a single thing. So you can imagine my shock when something found me. I was still struggling to move when the once abstract form of the lights materialized into something physical. The being that stood before me defied all laws of natural biology. It couldn't have been something created in our world, no. This being must have originated from some recess of existence so foreign to our own, that to see it unfiltered would surely drive most to madness. The closest thing it resembled was a cephalopod, long gnarled tentacles twisting and writhing through the air. Where a mantle should have been instead contained, a massive gaping maw, fangs filling the crevice. A single eye, larger than my head, was set at the center of its body. It gazed unto our world with unrivaled curiosity. Ah, oh, you're finally here. We can begin. First, want to apologize truly what happened was unfortunate. I would have gladly gone to prison in an attempt to atone for my sins, but fate interfered, and I had to fight to stay out of prison. See, shortly after our accident, I came into contact with the being you see before you. It offered me a chance to leave this world for another. It promised to show me planes of existence unknown to man. It showed me the future that awaited me. So we planned. We knew exactly what would occur tonight eight years ago. And it's exactly what we wanted. The otherworldly being focused its gaze on me and I felt myself being lifted off the ground. I was levitating now, and was able to look around, but my body was still unresponsive. You see, in order for us to open a gateway into the upper recesses of the astral planes, a sacrifice must be made. However, it can't be just any sacrifice. The person most intimate with you has to be sacrificed. My wife and I had been drifting apart for years, she wouldn't fit the criteria, however you devoted almost a decade to me, in a way we're closer than lovers. You know me better than my own parents, so it'll have to be you, Luke. There is no other way. I wanted to scream, but still, no sound would escape my lips. I saw a limp body move into view. It was lifted and suspended in mid-air by force beyond my comprehension, forces surely belonging to the entity. I tried to make out whose body it was, 
I thought for a moment that maybe Henry had lured someone else into here. It was the clothes that gave it away. I recognized the black sweater it wore as my own. Silent screams flooded my every thought. Somehow my consciousness had been separated from my body. Fortunately for you, we only need your physical body. See, the physical can't travel into the outer realms, but the mind can. It's said that some extraordinarily gifted people can project segments of their consciousness into the astral planes. But for ordinary people like me, this is the only way. I hope that you can forgive me for this one final cruelty. I saw Henry's body fall limp, and he collapsed onto the floor. Streams of light flowed from his body, convened into a singular brilliant orb. The orb moved through the air, and settled next to the entity. My body was lifted higher into the air before its limbs contorted and snapped back. The sounds of breaking bones reverberated throughout the room. I was left powerless and could only watch as my body collapsed into itself. Ribs and spinal segments punctured the skin, blood and entrails pulled and were forced back into the fleshy mass my body was compressed into. Inexplicable despair filled my being as I watched my body being crushed and forced into a singular tiny point suspended in mid-air. It shrunk to the size of a needle's head before it blinked out of existence. A rift immediately replaced the singularity beyond its threshold, a swirling tempest of colours so brilliant and vivid to call them anything but beautiful would be dishonest. Further still, I could see a realm of celestial bodies. I thought I saw them form the image of a massive cosmic eye. Thank you for your sacrifice. Tonight wouldn't have been possible without you. I saw the orb of light. Henry's consciousness entered the rift and ascended into the worlds that lay beyond. The being that had performed this strange ritual gave me one final glare and spoke a single word. Curious. It then turned and entered the rift, the portal closing as soon as it crossed. The distinct sensation of falling came over me as I felt myself being lowered. The last thing I saw before fading into unconsciousness was Henry's lifeless body. I awoke the next day with a start, momentarily believing my encounter to have been a wild hallucination. When I tried to get up, I knew something was wrong. My body felt off, as if it was foreign to me. I got up and ran to the nearest mirror. I fell into hysterics upon seeing the face of Henry staring back at me. All that had happened, all that I had suffered only to be left with this I trashed the place. I screamed, cried, and found the cyanide pill on the floor. I hold it now between my teeth, unsure if I have the strength to bite down. I promised myself that I would write down my tale, let the world know what had happened, even if no one would believe it. All that time spent planning and scheming meant nothing now. My convictions are shattered. My will is broken. 
It's as if my very being has been violated. Maybe if I had spent the time seeking closure instead of vengeance? What did I even expect to happen after I achieved my revenge? I would still be the same broken man, now with nothing to live for. I had never planned to move on, never planned for peace of mind. I was so caught up in my quest for vindication that I lost sight of any real end. Maybe the cost of vengeance is that there is no end, nothing that brings you to an end that you desire. As I roll the cyanide pill between my molars, I like to think that the cost has finally been paid. The candle went. The walls were laid bare, revealing moss, other lichens and moulds that had been festering under them for untold generations exposed to the dark interior of the house. It had been abandoned for 25 years, the beams eroding, the stairs falling into ruin, and all but the old stone fireplace being constantly besieged by time. I stepped carefully and gingerly, into the hallway, breathing down my neck. I whirled swiftly, looking with terrified glances behind me. A dank, shadowed room stretched behind me. The light of my pathetic flashlight barely served to penetrate the strangling dark. The dim forms of chair, at the time long gone, plush, comfortable, homely, but now foreboding, rotted, and empty, were only just mistakable for the objects they were. And then, there, just at the corner of the room, where the light could not, did not reach, there was a glow. Small, but perhaps something. I pivoted on my heels, my breath coming in ragged gasps, sweat continuing to seep out of my forehead and into my shirt. I was caught between a rock and a hard place, forced with choosing between the room, the room with the light of source unknown, or the hallway. The hallway that seemed to stretch into the black darkness forever. I gathered what bare wits were available to me, and, with pent-up breath and strained mind, took a step into the room. The chairs and items became somewhat more visible, though with the rot and the mold, this only served to make the empty house seem more lived in. Each step was a dark guessing game, in which a wrong move would certainly mean death. There were holes rotted away through the floor, which were big enough to have swallowed me whole. The bare minimum of moonlight seemed to battle its way through the window, and the surviving strands perished in the stagnant air as soon as they were touched. The light grew slowly closer. Step by step, feet by feet, I had made my way closer to the light. I stood there, staring at it with an intensity known only to a scholar when presented with a new finding. It captured me. It shouldn't be here. It has no right to be. Out of the dark, a creak. Something was coming. I rushed back to the door, my footsteps pounding away on the empty ancient floorboards. I stole a risked glance back towards the light. It was gone. Down the hallway I went, down, 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 till I wasn't even sure that I was in the same house anymore. 
It was a world that looked strange and menacing. The same wall tiles over and over and over. The same knots in the wood of the floor, the same carpet, same and same again. Till I thought in my mind that it would never end. Behind me, I looked. That dreadful direction in which no one dare look. A shadow of a thought passed through my terror-filled mind. A thought to run, to flee, to hide somewhere safe. For this was the thing in the dark. Its eyes were of hollow sockets. Its hands were alight with flame. Candle wax dripping down the lengths of its arms. And its mouth. Its mouth was the most horrible thing of all. It was carved, shaped to be identical to a human's except on waxy skin. Contorted in a way that broke the heart and shocked the mind. Weakened the soul and twisted strength. It was aimed at me with a silent howl. And I screamed. Suddenly, with what I knew, I was outside. I lay belly first on the grass. The soft grass. The soft, beautiful, fantastic grass. I wanted to giggle and holler. I was so happy to be out of there, out of that terrible place. But all I could do was cry. For a part of me, no matter how small, knew that something, everything was wrong. Suddenly, I was back inside the house. The same one. I turned around. And it was smiling. Mates, I hope you enjoyed both these creepy tales. Can you imagine just sleeping at night? Hearing the sounds of the house. The creaking. The moaning of the roof as it shifts and the silhouette of a figure sliding past your door. Oh yes, the candlewind has come, but for what, we'll never know. <laughs> and the twisted ending to the first tale, goodness, talk about when a plan backfires, sheesh. Listeners, thanks for listening. I'll catch you Monday for some more remastered vintage old-time radio episodes, and I'm looking forward to sharing those classics with you. And if you like what I do and have a couple of seconds spare, visit my iTunes page in the show notes and leave a review. And if you really like what I do, visit my Patreon page and support the show. This is an ad-free podcast, so all dollars sent my way get spent straight into production. Now that being said, it's my time to thank those that sent their love my way. First up is my majestically amazing Maya who is my Ode Night Tea Titan, the Colossus supporter that hurls me skipping into the skies with their support. Thank you so much, Maya. You are amazing, and I've been putting your funds into more audio and more sound effects. Your level of support always balls me over, and every episode I'm reminded of how awesome you are. Thank you so much, Maya. You're one of a kind. And my white tea warlord, Lizasaurus Rex, mate. Thank you for the well wishes, I really appreciated that. And I'll never ever stop thanking you mate, for your amazing tier of support. I'm in the process of splicing up the old time radio script. The hard part is taking the time to identify whose lines are who, and the kind of voices I need for the show. Gonna be quite the project mate, but you're helping spearhead that project with your support. You are a legend. And my ill grain forces the liquid awesome that pumps through this show's veins. I have Chad Warren, Just Heather, 
Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Tea Time Drinker 1, and Divided by Zero. Thank you, you amazing people. If you ever have a bad day, or are wondering to yourself, what did I actually do this week? Please, remind yourself that you're helping an Aussie from Australia produce a podcast every three weekdays. By simply supporting me, you're part of the journey in sharing stories with everyone around the world. So yeah, you're part of something really cool. So thanks, mates. And have yourself a kick-ass weekend. As always, till next we meet.